Well, good morning. Thanks, uh, thanks again for coming today. Uh, looking forward to today. We've got John Dindler, who will be um, leading us through some of the specifics when we get into biblical interpretation. So as you know, the name of the class is How to Study the Bible. Over the past uh, several weeks, we've looked at um, how we got the Bible, and then we looked at the Old Testament and the New Testament. And um, I've got some of those resources on order, so as soon as those come in, I'll be glad to give you uh, those who ask, uh, including the video link. Um, so now we're going to become more specific. So we're going to start breaking it down. Um, so John's going to talk about sentences, paragraphs, observations, that kind of thing. Uh, then next week we'll look at the principles of inductive Bible study. And then we'll just jump through various parts of the Bible, like the law, um, narrative, Old Testament history, the prophetic writings, the Gospels, so on and so forth. Uh, so hope that'll be a benefit to you. But um, let, let me pray, and then I'll turn it over to John here. So dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this new morning. Thank you for your mercies and grace, which are new upon us every day. So as we get to, as we have the privilege to behold your word, Lord, I pray you will open up our minds and eyes to it, to see those wondrous things from it, and to find that joy and delightment in it. So please, please help John here as he leads us through this um, section, and uh, please bless every single person here today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is, you don't have to do anything with this. Well, good morning again. John Denler, for those who don't know me. Got my name tag on even. Just straight. Okay. Um, we're out of a little order just a little bit. If you look at the initial outline, the introduction to inductive Bible study would precede what I'm going to talk about because it, but that I don't want to steal Jamar's thunder, so he's going to present that. I think next week, Jamar's next week. Okay, so that that'll be good. So, but I will have to step on his toes because I'm actually would be building on uh, the principles he would share. So my topic is on how to read the Bible. How do I read the Bible? What are the, what's the best way to read the Bible? Where do I start? How do I know what it means? Is my interpre interpretation correct or legitimate? I could go on a rabbit trail here, and I'll let you know that I abbreviate that RTA. So when I, if you hear me when I read RTA, I have a whole lot of thoughts in my head going on and there are pet peeves that I have and so do you and you'll read something or something has prompted something and before long you're not on, ta on task anymore so this is written so I stay on task and don't go down the rabbit trail okay so many of the RTAs will be covered in the principles of inductive Bible study but before you study you first must read well on your handout, what does the hand say? What's first on the hand, the left hand on your, the picture of your hand? If you flip over one page there. So on the front page, the front page has a diagram on it. Okay, see? Ah, page one. You have to read the notes. For, okay. The, he's got it graphed. What is it? Hearing. Hearing. 
Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's from Romans chapter 10, in an inductive Bible study. A lot of times they teach it microscope to periscope, or telescope. I, I was trained, let's go with the telescope, get the overall first. That's why we did the video series. The overview of the Bible. Another great overview is if you get on, uh, if you're ever on YouTube or on your uh, computer, um, go to uh, Bible Project. I happened to binge watch that uh, <laughs> this winter while Ellen was uh, uh, subbing, and for about a week and a half, I went from Genesis to Revelation and a lot of little snippets from the Bible Project. It was a great overview, but it's in diagrams. I went upstairs to get the book that we have of all their illustrations. I was going to put it here as one of my props, but it's not on display up there in the library right now. And I went, oh, can't do that. But the Bible Project, this is an RTA, by the way, uh, the Bible Project is an excellent resource also to give you an overview and, and those kinds of things. So uh, the listing on the topic was we're going to read teach how to read, um, but it's in sentences, paragraphs, discourses, and word studies. I'm going to put it in alphabetical order. Alphabetical order goes telescope to periscope only because the letters line up that way. So and I thought that was fortuitous. So um, I'm going to teach from discourse, paragraph, sentence, and word study. And I just told you the reason why. It's, it's more logical for me that way to have the overview and come in. Uh, I'll give you an example. I have a friend who is a wonderful biblical linguist. He knows Greek and Hebrew and uh, Akkadian and uh, all the Old Testament biblical languages. And he even knows some Arabic. And when he teaches, he's an excellent teacher. But he, he reads a sentence. He'll write it out in the original language. In Greek, he writes this way. In Hebrew, he writes that way. And he writes it out, and he parses every word. Okay? He's doing detail. He's on a microscope. Okay? And uh, it's excellent. It's excellent. Because he's giving you all these details. But he assumes... You already know the big thing. And when people use sound bites from the scripture, uh, we're going to get to a, one of our favorite sound bites, and I use it a lot. Uh, John 3.16. That'll be, our, be one of the sentences that we're going to look at later. But uh, it's a sound bite, and we use it. Especially in our culture today. We don't, we don't take time to look at the number one rule of interpreting the Bible and understanding the Bible is context. Okay? So I'm going to start with discourse. A discourse... No, i got to read. Okay. What is a discourse? Any communication written or spoken uh, to a person. Uh, you can discourse with other creatures or things. I have shouted at my car. I've shouted at my computer. I've shouted at my dog. I have talked to my dog. Not his wife. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, my wife is even keeled. I never have to correct her at all. Well, practically. Practically perfect. 
So let's see, that's an RTA, folks. All right, so I talk to my dog, um, talk to myself. Sometimes I shout at myself. I call myself a big dummy. You know, when you smash your thumb, you go, oh, you big dummy, right? If you do something that, do you ever laugh at yourself? You have to do those things. When, you're, when you make a silly mistake, see it as a silly mistake, you should be able to laugh at yourself. If you don't, trust me, God will bring somebody to humiliate you enough where, or you'll humiliate yourself enough that you'll learn to laugh because how many here are sinners? Every hand better go up. You got a problem? Raise your hand. This is audience participation. You're going to find out I'm very Socratic. I'm going to ask you questions. So if I say, how many sinners are in this room? This is a Bible church, so all the hands go up, see? All right? So we're all sinners. Now, is that my opinion? Is that my opinion? Where do we get that? Where in the Bible? Romans. Romans. Where, where in Romans? What chapter? 323. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is not a conclusion in the text. We won't do this one. This is for free. This is an RTA. It is the beginning of a section on justification, which is the gospel. And we go, huh? So when you do a Romans book study, you'll see how it flows. But that's a different uh, course. Let's see. I discourse with myself. I'm usually thinking through a problem, a set of instructions, a diagnostic of how something works. That was my profession. Um, how is it designed to work? That's the big one for me. And how, what have I done wrong now? If it doesn't work, what did I do wrong? That's the first question I ask. Because I'm assuming I've followed the instructions as they're written, and the machine is set up the way it's supposed to be, or whatever it is, task I'm doing. So what have I done wrong? Then I have to go back through it. Or is it broken or worn out? Or is there something stuck in it or what? Okay. By the way, these diagnostics work with people too. It's called biblical counseling. Well, it's called counseling. It's called conversation. Anybody that has a problem or a question or anything like that, we are counseling because we're giving our opinion. So it's not something super special. It's what we do by nature as people, people who need people. Okay. RTA, there's a song about that, and we'll get there later. So, Matthew 6.19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where the moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. That's a sentence. It's also a, it can stand alone as a command. So, I have just been discoursing about discourse. Okay? Discoursing is any communication, whether you're reading it. This is a discourse, so all, all of my notes here. My handout is a discourse. Okay? We have different kinds. I got a picture right? Illustration. There are sentences on there. There are Bible verses and those kinds of things. Then we're going to see 
the text of the scripture that we're going to get into in just a few minutes, probably. So, um, now that I've discoursed about discourse, what are some synonyms for discourse? I want you to think about uh, the different kind of genres of scripture. Genre is a kind. That's, um, so, audience participation, give me a kind or a genre that you will find in the Bible. Our, uh, during the narrative, uh, our video, the instructor shared several of those with us. Anybody? Give me one. Poetry. Poetry, great one. What else? What is that? It's a discourse. What other kinds of discourses are there? We got Parable. parables. Yes, that's a, also a part of speech. Song. What song? Prophecy. Okay. Any? They're they're just different kinds of literature. The epistle. Epistle. That's a letter. Okay. We write letters, and that's a unit of thought. And sometimes within that letter, there are several units of thought. Okay? So, the big picture of a book, or letter, epistle, or a gospel, or any kind of historical narrative. A lot of the Bible is historical narrative. God is, especially through Moses, God is telling Moses, this is what went on in the past. I'm setting the story straight. This is the beginning, folks. Because in 1400, around 1400 BC, um, Moses had been raised in Egypt. His people had been captive there for over 400 years. They were losing their heritage because we're... We're assuming, we don't know because we don't have any documents, but he had documents. They definitely had um, a verbal uh, body of teaching that they passed from generation to generation, just like we do. They have their songs and those different things. But God says, okay, Moses, you're going to write this down. We're straightening it out. We go, goes to the mountain, 40 days and 40 nights, we know the story. That's the background. That's part of this, the narrative. And wherever you are in the Bible, it's after Genesis, unless you're doing Genesis. Okay, so you have to flow. That that should impact your mind somehow. It is good food or good reference when you look into the future. And what we're talking about in the Old Testament is all past. How much of the New Testament is being written now? You can answer. How much of the how much of the New Testament is being written right now? Zero. That's a good answer. Because the book's closed. How do we know the book's closed? It says it is. Read Revelation. You don't add to, you don't take away. If you do either one of those, the curses that are found in the book of Revelation will be given to you. But not just the book of Revelation. That comes all the way back to Deuteronomy when he gave the law the first time, or the second time. Deuteronomy the second time, second law. Uh, in Exodus, he says the same thing. Don't add to and take away. I'm telling you a straight scoop. Don't do more than what I'm saying, which was the problem with the Pharisees. Don't do less than I'm, than I'm saying, which is the problem with the Sadducees. 
They're two extremes, and they're in the same group. They're in the same church, the same body, same called out ones. And you go, wow, that's a lot to digest. It's a rabbit trail <laughs> that we've been on. But it's important because understanding that God has taken the time to give us the history during the physical history of the world, his redemptive plan. It fits together. That was the main point of the um, video. So I'm sitting here going, okay, what am I going to tell you folks? So there are narratives, there are stories, there are poems. When you set a poem to music, when you set a uh, poem to music, what do we call it? Song. The book of Psalms is the Hebrew word for songs. It's a song book. All 150 psalms are a song book. They're one unit. And they broke them up in specific uh, sets. And some of it's by authors, some of it's by topic. And we go, oh. But that's, uh, you'll have to do a, a book study in psalms to uh, understand that. And they won't find it directly from the Bible. You'll have to read how the Jews, how the Israelites, how people who compiled the Old Testament and wrote and put them together, what they say about it, why they did it that way. It's pretty interesting. So, there are Lamentations. There's a book called Lamentations. Okay? In 315, I'll bet you guys all know that one. It's set to music. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. That's Lamentations 3.15 in song. We know Matthew 6.33 as a song. Seek ye first the kingdom. All right? Those of you who know those songs, you can sing too if you want. It's important because that's the word of God. It's important. We set it to music. A lot of the Old Testament is very poetic, and in Hebrew, <laughs> it's not, we can't conceive it that way. They see it as songs. When they read, when the rabbi reads, he is reading in a cadence and inflection and things, which is musical to them, because they use different tones than we use. It's like listening to Hindi music. It's got different tones. It's not our Western kind of way of doing it. But God uses it all. He reaches in. Music reaches right into our soul. How do I know that? Lost people sing. What do they sing about? They sing about what they love. They sing about what they worship. Oh, speaking of worship, rabbit trail, everything you say and do has an object of worship. Because we are worshipers by nature. God built us to be worshipers. He asks commands. We worship him and him alone. The fall, our sin, the presence of sin in us, in this can, distracts us. It's at war, it says. That's another rabbit trail because you have to read Romans to really get the full impetus. And he references the Old Testament, some Psalms. There's none good, no, not one. Okay? Uh, another popular little song that we used to sing in Sunday school was from Luke 19, 1 through 10. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Okay. Climbed up in the sycamore tree so Jesus he could see. 
That's the word of God set to music. Many of our hymns, when you're when we're singing, many of them are biblical. They have they're inscripturated. Some of them are paraphrased, but you can see as you become familiar with the word of God, you can see how we are singing back to God his very words because we love him. Okay. The video overview of the scriptures was a discourse and revolved around 20 discourses uh, summarizing the 66 books of uh, God's discourse that we call the Bible. I'm using repetition of the word discourse to drive home the point. It is not mysterious or foreign in concept. It is any written communication in its total like a book, a story, a letter, a song, uh, a song book, uh, or an individual song or poem. Uh, it can be any individual story. It is any individual body of teaching. It's, uh, it can be a reproof. It can be correction. Training in righteousness so that you and I are what? What's the purpose of it? Come on. Equipped for every good work. See? What's the reference? Anybody know? Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. See? This is a Bible church. If I ask our little Awana boys, third and fourth grade, if I ask them where do you find that, they're going to snap it off. Some of you have grandsons in there. Some of you have children in there. And we ask them every week, did you memorize your verse? Yes. I try to say, hey, do you know what this is? Where did we get that? You know, that wasn't my Bible verse this week. He's asking me a question. They have to learn to tie them in. Teaching little kids that, what do I have to teach you? I'm teaching you to tie it in. We go from the big to the small. That's the easiest way to do it. It gets confusing, okay? Otherwise, and I can, I'm going to show you that in just a second. Okay, in review, this would be what would have been covered last week if, if I were following Jamar. Uh, inductive, by, inductive study is observation. Observation learns, leads to an interpretation. And then from interpretation, we make application. I've got it written up here. Observations, see the S? Okay. Interpretation. There's no S on that. What's that mean? There's one. There's one meaning to that text. And it's God's meaning, not ours. And that goes to authorial intent. And that's what that word's going to be. And I, I already jumped ahead. So, and then we have many applications because of the different contexts. We don't say the same thing to everybody at, at every time because life isn't lived that way. We talk to our children as, as they grow and as they mature. Our vocabulary expands as their understanding expands. I happen to teach the age group right now where their vocabulary is exploding. And, and it's hard for them to take it in. They're reading the big... <laughs> they read a word like sanctification. Sanctification. Do you know what that is? 
No, they have no idea. They just know it's got more, a lot of syllables in it. Okay? And, and it's up to us to say, <laughs> that means they're making you more like Jesus. Because that's what sanctification is. How do you get that? Go to Romans. Romans chapter 8. Do a book study. So, um, inductive, uh, we do observation, observations, interpretation, applications. And then um, when, we're, when we're making observations, it's over here in the green. Okay. We're, we're looking for, get to the overview, like how many of you have read through the book of John? At least once. Okay. The book of John is fantastic. And if you don't want to read through it, watch it on Netflix or YouTube. They've got it acted out, and it's every word from the King James. They're reading it, and they're putting it to, as, a, as a, uh, a performance. It's pretty good. It's three hours long. You can read it in less time than that. <laughs> and if all you're doing is reading for the overview, I suggest that you do that. Um, when we did a book study in John for college, they go, okay, every week you have to sit down in one sitting every week and read the Gospel of John from John 1-1 to uh, chapter 20, through the end of chapter 22. Okay? You did that every week. And each week that we did that, he also assigned portions of John, and they were anywhere from the length of a chapter to just a few sentences. But what he was giving us were paragraphs. And he'd give us so many paragraphs we had to work through, and it wound up being <laughs> in eight weeks. Well, he divided by seven. In seven weeks, we out of the 21 chapters, there were seven chapters in each of the paragraphs, and his, we had to write everything that we knew about that paragraph. Everything that you know about, notice in that paragraph. And you do one paragraph, then you do the other. He said, but you've read the whole thing, right? So how much more do you know? There are questions that are asked at the, at the front, or there are concepts that are uh, introduced at the front that are answered later on. The classic is, but we'll get to that later. I don't want to give that one away. When we go to John 3.16, there's a question there that we'll have to ask. Okay? So... I've hit this, uh, that there's a twofold, there's a, uh, the books of the Bible stand together as one cohesive story. Um, we have to get the twofold context. Historical, which is the physical history, the history of the world. Uh, and where does it hang in that history and God's redemptive history? Because the Bible wasn't written in a vacuum. And it's not written about well, if we were in a far-off land, far, far away, in a time long ago or somewhere in the future, like it's fiction, you know, like Lord of the Rings. I'm not, I'm not in science fiction. That's a big one. Star Trek was big for me. The old Star Trek, you see. see those are speculations. We like those kind of they're exciting stories, see. But guess what? When you become a Christian, you're sitting there going, wait a second, they're doing wrong things. Conscience gets sensitive as you read the Word of God. 
Uh, one author put it this way, and this isn't in my notes, but he puts it this way. When, actually, there was a famous uh, philosopher who said, when you stare into the abyss, the abyss is uh, staring back at you. A uh, Christian author says, when you read the Word of God, you're going to find out that God is reading you. And I think that's from Living by the Book. And it may be in Grasping God's Word. So, and by the way, Grasping God's Word is a retelling of the professor that they sat under, who was Howard Hendricks. That's also a rabbit trail. But I went, I've read this stuff before. See? Because one, one author had taught another author. When you sit in the congregation and the elders and preachers are preaching or you're in a classroom, you're going to pick up nuances of the character of the teachers. Okay? And if you sit under them long enough, you start talking like them. We had a Texan for our first pastor, and he had some really strange things that he would say. Did you know there's a wide guff between man and God? And we went, what's a guff? Well, you know what a guff is. It's like a gully. Oh, the word's gulf, G-U-L-F. He's from Texas, southern Texas, and so he talked with a drawl at times. Okay? By the way, you think that's, uh, inter that's interesting in our language. They did the same thing, the Bible writers. They spoke it in their dialect. And how do we know that? Because they use words wrongly, but unless you're a Greek scholar or a Hebrew scholar, you don't know that. They're, they're everyday folks, especially John. We like John because John wrote very simply. When you, if you ever go take a Greek class, you will be reading the letter of 1 John. They just have you read it, and you read it, and you read it, and you read it. Every week you read it. Got a tape, you listen to the tape, you read with him, then you see if you can read without it, and all what you're doing is learning how to pronounce the words. You don't know what they mean until you study the vocabulary. We'll get there. That's all part of inductive Bible study. It's all part of observation. It's all about learning how to read and reading well. So we have to observe how the books fit together, and we have to determine the unique function of any book, That's, I borrowed that phrase, um, but each book has a specific purpose. It is hung, where did I write that down? It is hung in history. I cut that in my notes, I didn't write it on the board. You have to hang it in history. You gotta find out where it came from. When was it written, who was it written to? And then you have to, why is it written? Does the author tell us why? If you read the book of Job, Job never finds out the questions, answers the question, why is this happening to me, Lord? But God wrote it for us, has it recorded in the Bible, so that we know that there's a cosmic war going on. And we don't see it. Because we sinned, we are blinded. Then our enemy has come along and it says, He's blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the glorious God, gospel of Christ. As a believer in Romans chapter 8, well, chapter 7 first, we have this problem. We are new spiritual people. 
renew of a different kind. We become spiritual. We we're fleshly, now we're spiritual. I'm stealing Jamal's thunder here, but it's very important because until you become a believer, you have no spiritual capacity to appreciate the spiritual implications of a relationship with God. Okay? So, we have to determine the unique function. Then we have to determine authorship. There's a human author carried along by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is God the Holy Spirit. And God is sovereign. I'm not making this stuff up. Okay? Would somebody read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21? Pop your hand up when you're ready to read it. Uh, I should have given you that ahead of time. Didn't, didn't write it on the board. Yes, I did. So I'm on track. 2 Peter 1, 16 to 21. Go ahead. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets. We have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy or scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for the prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. When we get into word studies, that one of the words you would want to look up is, what does it mean they're carried along? And that'll take you back to the Greek, and it's a word picture of, like you throw a stick in a stream. It's carried along by the current, okay? The water holds it up. It's a holy picture of a word picture of, of how the Holy Spirit moves us, if the Holy Spirit's in you. Um, and we're going to see in, in our reading here in a bit uh, some important information about that bearing along that is about every believer. Okay. Um, we have the authorship. It's a dual authorship. Scripture is inscripturated because we know that God has spoken. And over the years... They have they argued over this stuff. Why don't we have the Shepherd of Hermes in our Bible? Because the Shepherd of Hermes doesn't agree with God's character. It only has to wait, wait a second. Wait a second. You're going too far here, or you're not going far enough. There are pieces of scripture that are used in other play. They call it scripture in other groups, and it in for it it um, it exalts the flesh. What it does, it makes you think that you can earn grace. There's a huge denomination that calls themselves Christians, and they believe that grace is merited. The word grace is gift. If I give you a gift, did you merit that gift? If you have a birthday and I give you a gift, 
Did you merit that gift? I'm going to say no. Why? Because I'm celebrating your birthday. Okay? I'm giving you a gift. Now, in order to receive a gift, what do you well, in order to get a gift, what do you have to do? You have to receive it. Okay? So this is not rocket science. None of this is rocket science. It's simple. The little kids get it. We have a tendency to become oh so sophisticated, easy for you to say, so sophisticated because we think we are more mature. We think that we are more than we ought. And God says, wait a second, don't, don't do that. When you read the Bible, uh, here this is a rabbit trail, but this is important. You must read yourself, or you must pray yourself empty before you read yourself full. Okay? Say, God, clear the cobwebs out of my head. I have lots of problems I'm reading because I want to know how this Tommy's supposed to act now. Okay, there's something going on. Ellen and I aren't getting along for some reason, so I got to find out why. Okay, I know she has problems at times, but no, no. You know what God tells me? You know what God tells me? John, you're part of this. You're culpable. You too are a sinner. No matter how sinful somebody acts around you. That does not make you sin. You choose to sin. You're held accountable to that. Every idle word that comes from your mouth, you ever read that? You're judged by every idle word that comes from your mouth. On the day of judgment, if you're not a Christian, when they have appealed to God in vain, God's going to remind them that. You knew all about me. You called on me. You didn't listen, but you called on me. You're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty as charged. I was raised in a denomination that said, hey, guess what? God saves you by his grace, but you're kept by human effort. You can fall away. You can walk away at any time. Does the Bible teach that? Come on, some of you have the same background. Where did they say that? They went to Hebrews chapter, into chapter 5 and in the beginning of chapter 6. They don't read the whole thing. They just read a little snippet. Okay? They take a sound bite. And they say, see, our doctrine is that you can lose your salvation because you have not walked holy. You have fallen away, it says. Well, what it's talking about, those, they fall away because they really don't believe. Real belief, as you find out in Hebrews... Chapter 11 has to do with <laughs> obedience. Romans talks about the obedience of faith. He wrote the book to bring about the obedience of faith. And so obedience requires listening closely, reading the instructions closely, finding out what they're telling you, finding out what they're saying. If there's a command that's telling you, the audience to do something, then we have to decide if that command pertains to us. Sometimes it's generic. It's all believers. And sometimes it's narrowed because at their particular time, that's the only time it could happen. You know, if he says, don't go to Jerusalem. Okay, I'm not going to Jerusalem. So, you know, he says, go to the Sea of Galilee and wait for me there. I can't go to the Sea of Galilee and wait for him there. Crying out loud, do you know how crowded that place would be if every Christian had to do that? We don't go on trips to Mecca and all that kind of stuff. That's not what he's talking about. 
So what is he talking about? He's talking to the disciples at that time. It's that simple. Oh, he's talking to the disciples. Okay. But why did he say that? Is there an application for me? Well, you'd have to stretch it, and you'd be twisting Scripture to get an application out of that for today. Unless you're over in Israel, and you read that passage, and you say, hey, I can go to see Galilee. Wait for him there. As a metaphor, as a metaphor, not as a literal command. It is a feeling. It's something we draw. It's like a poem. It, it draws us, and we go, oh, I want to do this now. Sing certain songs, makes you want to do certain things. You go, oh, okay. When we read, it's the same way. Okay, got the historical background. And we, order, we have to have supplemental material in order to get some of that. You have to have a good, there's a historical atlas of the Bible by Zondervan that uh, I was required to buy for school. Well, I read it almost cover to cover. It, it's a wonderful book. Guess what it does? It gives you the, <laughs> gives you the historical background of every book in the Bible. Okay. I don't have one of those here. There's some up in the library. Um, so context is king. Got to know when it's set in history, who it's talking to. Um, this is the definition of context. The general series or composition of a discourse. It's a series of a discourse. It's a series of a story. It's, it's what's going on as it happens. Okay? Uh, the, it's the context. Uh, more particularly, the parts of a discourse uh, are those uh, in context are those which precede or follow the sentence quoted. We're gonna I'm gonna quote it again here pretty soon, John three sixteen. But we're gonna see it in this, in this context. We're gonna see it from the overview, and then we're gonna go specific. And I've only got a couple more minutes, and gonna get real fast here. So, each biblical writing was accepted or understood in the light of its context. Understanding a word or a sentence in its context is another aspect of normal interpretation. We do that when we read the newspaper. We do it when we read a magazine article. We, <laughs> we do it when we watch a movie. You're doing that. When you're watching a movie, you're interpreting. You are observing and interpreting. If you ever watch British television, sometimes they develop characters long haul. And I mean, it can be boring at times. You're going, would you get to the action? I mean, they haven't shot anybody yet. Okay? The, the lovers haven't gotten together yet. Or whatever the storyline is. The investigator hasn't found out who done it yet. Okay? And we, we're looking for those things. It's just normal. Each biblical writing was accepted and understood in light uh, of the sentences in its context and in, uh, in the aspect of normal interpretation. That's from Roy B. Zook's book on, I can't recall the title, it's, it's Interpreting the Bible or Hermeneutics, it's, it's a hermeneutics book, it's uh, Interpreting the Bible. And he was a professor at Dallas also. Uh, genre, when we want when we talk about what kinds it is, genre is a French word, or it's from the French word, which is derived from Latin word genus. And it means a literary type Literary genre uh, refers to the category or kind of writing, we covered that already, by a particular uh, forms and or content. Okay. 
you know, that was my introduction, and I went, man, this is going to go long. Okay, so, but I had to cover some things. I got this sheet. I want to do an overview. Okay, the overview was given by the author of, that, that did our video series. He says, okay, he summarized how to get a grip on your Bible. That's what this book is all about. Grasping your Bible. They did a word study on that, and it means clutching it. Don't let go of it. Don't let them take it away from you. Own it. It's yours. Hide it somewhere. Where's God want you to hide it? Say it. In your heart. Amen. Why wouldn't we? He loves us. We're going to get there. Okay. So when I first looked at this diagram, this, by the way, this is from Navigators. You can go on their website. This is one of the free things that they send out. that will let you download. That's why I got it. Okay, uh, and it illustrates the five ways that we can get a grasp on the Word of God. Now remember, the thumb, the thumb is all important. It's the one that moves all around, okay? We're humans, okay? The thumb can touch all the others, and meditation is mulling over all of those things. It's mulling over the Word of God that we hear. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Right? And I don't want to go on the rabbit trail, but that's also in the context of the judgment that's fallen on Israel. It's a partial hardening. And when you read the book of Romans and you get there, you're going to find something out. And it grates on denominations and people, how they're raised. It can grate on you if you don't understand it. God is sovereign. And it's really hard. I hated this when I first heard it. Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. God's sovereign. He does the choosing. We don't. We think we do. Yes, we do. He says, you choose this day whom you will serve. How can that be? How can God both be sovereign and make us culpable? Meaning, you have to choose. Because God's God and we're not. Shall the clay say to the potter? That's hard. But he says, I'm trustworthy. I love you so much. I'm going to straighten up your thinking. The Word of God is active and powerful. It's able to divide to what? Finish it. Come on, you guys know it. The Word of God is powerful. It's able to divide between... It's a sharp two-edged sword. What? Good and evil. Your thoughts and intents of your heart. That's where I'm going. Thoughts and intents. Do you know what that means? It means your stinking thinking has to come under the authority of the Word of God. That's a Zig Ziglar thing that I learned many, many years ago in sales. Stinking thinking happens all the time. Most of biblical counseling is straightening out stinking thinking. We either think too highly of ourselves or we think too lowly of ourselves. We think too long on those things and we have physical ailments sometimes from it. Sometimes we have as a friend of ours has, depression. Depression can be brought on by sin, not always. Depre <laughs> depression most always is triggered by some loss. We call it grief. And grief causes a, we are wired for eternity. And this world gives us a shattered view of that. 
because loved ones die. People we care about were here yesterday and are gone today. How many of you have lost a parent? Come on, audience participation, raise your hand. Okay, how many of you have lost a child? Oh, that's good, because that, that one really hurts. Okay, do you get over it? Do I get over the memories of my sweet mother-in-law or my own mother? Whoopie ding, kids. That's what my mom used to say whenever she was happy. Whoopie ding, kids. What's whoopie ding? I knew the woman for <laughs> for her 73 years on the planet Earth, and she, that was her favorite saying when she was happy. Whoopie ding! What's a whoopie ding? I don't know. Never will. Until I get to heaven and talk to her about it. I think it was her expression of joy. Something she picked up. So we have to hear. We're going to learn to read. Read and study are two different things. They're different as light and day. Then we have to memorize and meditate. And meditate incorporates all of them. Okay? We're going to John chapter 3. Okay. I was going to have us read through the whole thing real fast. But we're almost out of time, right? Got seven minutes. i got to be out of here. Okay? So in seven minutes, I can guarantee you we read most of it, but that would not give us the time to answer our questions on the back. Okay? So how many of you know John chapter 3 very well at all? Other than Josh. Anybody here study? Have you ever read the... Uh, you've read John, right? Okay. We all know John 3.16, Right? What's, it, what's the context of John 3.16? That's what I have here. I've got the chapter. What's the context of that chapter? I was going to have you look at uh, chapter 2, and I wanted you to see what day it was. Okay? And you go, what? Chapter 2 is written on <laughs> about the events of the third day. That's the wedding at Cana. Then it says, after these things, and the word after doesn't mean sequentially right now. It just means after. Now we're, we're out of the days. The first two chapters uh, from uh, the beginning of chapter and the middle of chapter 1, it starts the witness, it says, and he begins witnessing. And he goes to the first miracle on the third day. The first three days, he is... Calling his apostles, calling the disciples, dealing with John the Baptist, <laughs> and now he's got the apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, was a follower of John the Baptist, and leaves John the Baptist to follow Jesus. Okay, that's all free, but you get to read that if you under, if you read the bio, if you read John, you can find all these facts out. They're just facts. I can kill you with facts. I can give you so many facts about the Bible you can't comprehend them. But you don't own it. I do. I own how God has, for God's love, John Denler, that he sent his only son, that if I believe in him, if John Denler believes in him, I have eternal life. Wow. I have passed from death unto life because God said so. Because I trust him. He's trustworthy. 
What's eternal life? I'm going to jump ahead here. What's eternal life? Is there an answer for that from the Bible? You should be nodding your head. It's in the book of John. On the bottom of the page. Yes. And where? Okay. Turn to if you're if you got your Bible open, pop it open to chapter 17 of John. I want to blow your mind. It blew my mind the first time I read this. And when I sat down the first time I read it, and I was about five days old in the Lord. And I'm reading from John 1 1 all the way through the book of John because John MacArthur says, read it in one sitting and then go back and read individual parts. Read it in one sitting. So I'm sitting there going, I'm going, okay, let's see. I've read over the whole thing. Now I'm going back through it and I get to John chapter 3 and it says, what's eternal life? And I'm going, he tells us what eternal life is. John chapter 17. Anybody see it? Anybody got it? Anybody got it memorized? I do. And this is eternal life. Read it. And this is, this is eternal life that they may know you, the one, the only true God, and Yeshua Messiah, the one you sent, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. Who said it? What's John chapter 17 about? Jesus in the garden. Part of We call it the high priestly prayer. You'll most Bibles will have headings in them. I don't like those. I got a pew Bible. It says chapter 1, chapter 2. That's all it does. No headings. doesn't break it in paragraphs. Nothing. And that's why I took the paragraphs out, markings out of our text here. Because I wanted you to read the whole thing. I was going to ask the question, okay, uh, break out some of the paragraphs. I was going to ask my wife about the dialogue. Because every quotation mark, there's a... We would put a carriage return on a typewriter, but it's a paragraph marking at the end of them because when I tried to shore this thing up, there was a thing there were spaces on after a paragraph. So I got these big gaps. I'm going, no, no, that's cheating. I didn't want to cheat. But everywhere that the punctuation demanded it, I had to drop down to a new line. So that's why it's written this, this way. You'll see some lines are run together. And if you have your Bible, you'll see the verses are in chunks. Those are natural breaks of paragraphs. A paragraph is a larger unit of the thought than a sentence. It's made up of multiple sentences. That's all a paragraph is, is more sentences than one. We like to condense things. We like to, we like to zero it in and sum it up and say, what are you telling me? I don't have time to read all this. But guess what? God says take the time. Because it's important to understand that John 3.16 is hung in the middle of this conversation. And he's talking to a leader of Israel, a rabbi. His name is Nicodemus, a man who is, he's like Josh. He's an elder. He's one of the 70 who rule the nation spiritually. He's supposed to be guiding them. And he comes to Jesus and he goes, ah, we know you're a great teacher, but we don't get it. He says, well, you can't get it. You're not born again. You must be born again. I can't crawl back into my mother's womb. Real easy. It's right here in the text. Really? You see, he's, he's thinking here. Now, see, he's thinking that this is, he's got life under the sun. And God says, no, no, no. I want you to have life under the Son of God, the Messiah. Yes, i got to close here pretty quickly. So we're going to go.
Dialogue, the paragraphs, sentences. John 3.16 is a sentence. And we just did a word study. What is eternal life? That they may know you, Father. Jesus talking about us. Read chapter 17 by itself sometime. It's a prayer. It's a prayer of Jesus to God on the behalf of the immediate disciples and everybody that know about Jesus that they told and that those told and that those told and eventually somebody told us. We come right out of John chapter 17. It has that importance. God is smacking us up alongside the head and he says, see, this is simple. I'm not making this complex. I want you to get rid of your religious ideas and live life. Live life as a new spiritual person, a new of a different kind, because you were fleshly destined to be buried. As my dear friends would say at work, I'm just worm food. And I'm going, you don't have to be. Million dollar bills, all those kinds of things. I have a gift of evangelism. I love to do it. I've been doing it here. So we're going to close now. And I want you to, to humble yourself before the Lord. You can close your eyes if you want to. Raise your hands. I don't care. God doesn't either. He wants you to know that you're talking to him. I'm going to speak for the group, but you can pray yourself too. And he can hear us all at once. And he hears us in our language. And he, and he hears us as we really are. Lord God, Father in heaven, just thank you for your word. Thank you for how important it is because you took the time from the foundation of the world to ordain that there men like Moses would be born, that Abraham would be born, that uh, as the psalmist says, you saw us knit together in our mother's womb. And that applies to us to this day. That's why we hate abortion. Lord, you love us and you've appointed us from the foundation of the world to understand and know you. Help us. Help us to become workmen who do not need to be ashamed that we can be approved by you because we not only read your word and hear your word, but we labor, we work hard to understand your word. Help us to ask the questions to as we observe from big to small and especially even down to the words. Lord, help us to understand what it is you're telling us and then help us to put into practice those things which you command us and those things that which are pleasing to you. Help us to be pleasing to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Any questions? <laughs> yeah. Whichever. Yeah.